Good morning, everyone. Good to see you again. Good to be back in the flesh. I was going to welcome you to the sermon series, but I probably just have to welcome myself today. So um, it is good to be back, though. Um, Jonathan, I just want to take a second. I love one of the things you prayed because it's um, something that I've been thinking about as we've been going through the series. And, and just so you know, if you're catching up today, we are uh, taking the summer to work through the 12 minor prophets. Uh, they get so little airtime in the church, we thought we'd change all of that. And uh, what one, uh, hopefully one thing that you are seeing as you read through this is there's, there's kind of a storyline uh, amongst too many people in our world outside of the church and sometimes inside the church that, you know, God's a whole lot nicer in the New Testament than he was in the Old Testament. Um, I don't know if you ever heard people say that, but say, you know, I really love the God of the New Testament, you know, the grace, the cross, the resurrection, people getting healed, but boy, God seems angry in the Old Testament. He's the God of wrath. But what you see is, as you, the, the, and by the way, the best remedy for that is to actually read the Word of God and see what God is doing all along. Because in the Old Testament, one thing that jumps out again and again is just the grace of God. Um, I said this in one of the sermons where, you know, I, I, we talked about the sins of one of the nations. I think it was the nation of Israel. And I said, what should God do at this point? Just put on his smite boots and stomp everybody out. But he doesn't. Um, that's just not who he is. And that keeps coming out again and again. So hopefully, um, you're enjoying this series, uh, reading along, and we're going week to week, just from prophet to prophet in order. Um, hopefully, you enjoyed Obadiah last week, uh, all 21 verses. And as I say that, I do understand, even in light of my intro, in my introductory comments a minute ago, enjoyed might have felt like a strange word um, because Obadiah is a heavy hitter. Um, it really is a heavy hitter. But there were a couple of themes that jumped out all the way through. And, and first of all, there is just the sovereignty of God at play. Um, there is no question in the book of Obadiah, as in Amos, Joel, everyone else we've talked about, that God really is in control. Um, you know, it's not like the world goes crazy and God looks around and goes, oh my gosh, I better come up with something. But God is in control from first to last. There's a perfect plan being worked out, even in these really wild times. Um, and th then the other, the other theme that jumps out is that God is merciful and God is just. And by merciful, it's pretty simple. It means that there's always hope and healing coming for the oppressed, always. And then just means that there is also no escaping punishment for the oppressor. Now, there, there is forgiveness, you know, for repentance, God always forgives, but if you stand in that place of oppression, it's coming. Um, and and those, those are good checks in our day and age. So uh, again, Psalm 24, 1 kind of plays out that the earth is the Lord, and all it contains, the people and all who dwell in it belong to him, and God is working mercy and justice all the way through. So having said that, let me give you just a couple of intro a uh, couple of important introductory points just about the book. Uh, first of all, with Obadiah, um, it is good to know about this minor prophet that there are actually 13 Obadiahs in Scripture. That's a very helpful corrective because if you see Obadiah pop up in 1 Kings and in David's court, and later on you think, man, this guy's either really old 
or he is just time traveling all over the Old Testament. So there were 13 of them, okay? All kind of different jobs that they had. Um, of course, our minor prophet, we're going to focus on him today. Um, and his name means a devoted servant of Yahweh. And, and the point in the Hebrew coming from that is that this is a very humble man. So Obadiah is a man who chooses to serve the Lord's interests and not his own. Um, he, is, he is an absolutely devoted person to the plan, the word, the message, everything that God is doing. So that's a little piece on him. And then uh, an introductory point that's very good to know about uh, this, this nation of Edom before we read about the Edomites in verses 1 through 9, and it's this. Um, Edom was a nation in the Old Testament that had a unique uh, an unprecedented military advantage. And once you know this, you go, oh, now it all makes sense. They, they were folks who dwelt up in the mountains, and they had these mountain fortresses that made them impossible to invade. Uh, you could not take the gates of, of Edom um, <laughs> unless God was behind it. I want, I want to show you uh, actually a picture. Um, some of you may have seen uh, one of these entrances, uh, entrances to the mountain fortresses in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, this is Petra. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. And this is one of the mountain fortresses of Edom. So just put that in place. Next time you watch Indiana Jones, you can go, hey, I know all about this. So there's your background. And what, what's fascinating about this is in the beginning, these fortresses were an incredible blessing to the nation of Edom, but in time they became a great curse, and eventually these fortresses became their ultimate uh, downfall and doom. So having said that on that very positive note, let's pray for this message, all right? Father, we love you and we thank you for your grace, and God, we thank you that from beginning to end, you are the God of love and life. Um, that, that you are the sovereign Lord who is always doing a beautiful thing. Um, this work of redemption that we see so clearly in the Gospels, um, you are working that all the way through. And today we just want to put ourselves underneath your word. We want to say, God, speak to our hearts. Lord, do what only you can do uh, through your word and by your spirit. We love you, we welcome you, and we thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we go. We're going to start right off with the word. Um, this is God's punishment coming to the nation of Edom, the Edomites. This came in a vision to the prophet Obadiah, and I'm going to read you verses pretty much two through nine. So here we go. We have heard a message from the Lord that an ambassador was sent to the nations to say, get ready, everyone. Let us assemble our armies and attack Edom. The Lord says to Edom, I will cut you down to size among the nations. You will be greatly despised. You have been deceived by your own pride because you live in a rock fortress and make your home high in the mountains. Who can ever reach us up here? You ask boastfully. But even if you soar as high as the eagles and build your nest among the stars, I will bring you crashing down, says the Lord. If thieves came at night and robbed you, they wouldn't take everything. Those who harvest grapes always leave a few for the poor. But your enemies will wipe you out completely. Every nook and cranny of Edom will be searched and looted. 
every treasure found and taken. All your allies will turn against you. They will help to chase you from your land. They will promise you peace while, promising, while plotting to deceive and destroy you. Your trusted friends will set traps for you, and you won't even know about it. At that time, not a single wise person will be left in the whole land of Edom, says the Lord. For on the mountains of Edom, I will destroy everyone who is understanding. The mightiest warriors of Timon will be terrified, and everyone on the mountains of Edom will be cut down in the slaughter. How are we doing out there? <laughs> Isn't that incredible? I mean, look at all these things. Enemy attack. Every ally and every friend will become your enemy. Wiped out, picked clean, destroyed, exiled, and slaughtered. And by the way, that little verse or that little phrase in verse 2, utterly despised, it has two meanings in Hebrew here. Uh, the first one is what you would expect. Utterly despised means looked down with contempt. You know, people will kind of sneer at you on one side, but on the other one, it means utterly despised means you will be so weak, you won't be able to lift a finger to defend yourselves. Kind of leaves us all asking a question this morning, doesn't it? What in the world did the Edomites do to rile God up like this? I mean, to st this God that we've been looking at who, who, you know, just the mercy, the grace, the love, he, he's so definite. I mean, I mean there, there's such a wrath being stirred up. What did they do? Well, now let me read their rap sheet to you in verses 10 through 14. Listen to this. Because of the violence you did to your close relatives in Israel, you will be filled with shame and destroyed forever. When they were invaded, you stood aloof, refusing to help them. Foreign invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem. But you act like one of Israel's enemies. You should not have gloated when they exiled your relatives to distant lands. You should not have rejoiced when the people of Judah suffered such misfortune. You should not have spoken arrogantly in that terrible time of trouble. You should not have plundered the land of Israel when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have gloated over their destruction when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have seized their wealth when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads, killing those who tried to escape. You shouldn't have captured the survivors and handed them over in their terrible time of trouble. Folks, that is a whole lot of you should not haves from God to eat them. In fact, do anybody count them up? There are eight, eight of those from God. And when, when you pull them apart here and just look at them individually, th this is pretty bad stuff. You know, this is not chewing gum in class, right? This isn't jaywalking. This isn't a rude comment here. This is violence against God's people, Israel. Um, sitting on their mountain perch, watching the Israelites in their distress like, like we watch reality TV, um, delighting in seeing Israel exiled and marched off into slavery, gloating over them. You know what gloating means in the Hebrew? Heckling them. I mean, literally sitting up there and just jeering them, making, applauding as, as they're in the midst of all this suffering and distress. And then after Israel's marched off, what do they do? Well, the Edomites come down and they loot their homes. 
They carry off any treasures they can find in these empty, empty Jewish homes here. And then finally, oh, finally they stand guard at the crossroads, right? So at the border of Israelites, the Edomites go down there and they're standing there with swords. And, and if a Jew escapes their captors and they try and make it back home, the Edomites are cutting them down with the sword or they're tying their hands right back up and they're driving them right back into slavery. I mean, it's a heavy rap sheet, right? I mean, we all agree this is pretty bad stuff. So what do you think? Do, do you think the punishment that God is, is meeting out here, do you think it fits the crime? Well, if you don't, I got one more thing that might convince you, okay? I, th- I think tipping point, right? I think this might be the tipping point. Um, there, there's one little word that appears twice in the rap sheet that we just read, and it's relatives, okay? And by relatives or close relatives, that's not like a, a euphemism for, oh, but your neighbors, because is, uh, Edom is right under Israel. It, it, it doesn't mean anything other than the, the literal word relatives. The Edomites are direct descendants. They're directly related to Israel. They actually share the same bloodline. The Edomites and the Israelites, in a sense, are family. Because the Edomites are descendants of Esau. The Israelites are descendants of Jacob. Have you ever heard those two names before? Esau and Jacob, these two were brothers. You remember, back in Genesis 25, there are a pair of twins born, Jacob and Esau. They're born to Isaac and Rebekah. And that's why verse 10 and verse 12 says, these folks that you've watched, you laughed at, you've been cutting down, you've been robbing their treasures, these are literally your own brother. That's who they are. And, and if you remember the story way back when, Esau and Jacob uh, had a major falling out. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But they had a major falling out back in Genesis 25. And, and the problem is that Esau not only left home, um, you know, and it was a bad situation. You know, Edom's like, uh, uh, Esau's like, well, forget it. I'm done with you people. He leaves, but he doesn't just leave. Esau nurses a grudge. And the grudge over time becomes a cancer. He's eaten up with bitterness. And so what he does, what, what Esau does is he passes, it, passes that down the line to all of his children and his children's children. And so these Edomites, they share this contempt for Israel. Were they there in Genesis 25? Absolutely not. But it's just the nature of offense. It gets passed down if we don't deal with it. And so now, here you have a whole group of people, a whole nation of people, and it's not just that they're, they're rejoicing in Israel's downfall, they're participating in Israel's downfall. So it's a really nasty, nasty, nasty family story. And so we go down now to verses 15 through 21, and uh, God is going to deal with it. Um, God is going to deal with this now because, again, going back to Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and all who live in it, uh, the, the world and all of its people. The problem now for Edom is they don't understand who their enemy is. They think their enemy is Israel, but what they don't get is that they have become enemies of God. The same God who is merciful and just. You know, he always helps and heals the oppressed. 
And he always deals with that unrepentant oppressor. So here we go. In verses 15 through 21, uh, God gives reckoning now to both nations, both Edom and Israel. And God essentially says to, to Edom, look, as you have done to Israel, it'll now be done to you. Your evil deeds will fall back on your own heads. Just as you have swallowed up my people, you're now going to swallow my punishment. And you will, get this, disappear from history. And this is God saying, okay, bailiff, eat them, take them, get them out of my courtroom for good. He does. And now for Israel. Jerusalem, you will become a refuge, a holy place for those who escape. You will come back to reclaim your inheritance. You will occupy the mountains of Edom. You will possess the Philistine plains. You will take over the fields of Ephraim and Samaria. The people of Benjamin will occupy Gilead. The exiles of Israel will return to their land and occupy the Phoenician coast as far north as Zarephath. And just so you know, that's quite a bit of real estate. The captives from Jerusalem exiled in the north will return home and resettle the Negev. And those who have been rescued will go up to Mount Zion in Jerusalem to rule over the mountains of Edom, and the Lord himself will be king. And that kind of ends the book. And I think, if nothing else, what we see at the end of all of this is we see the truth of Proverbs 16, 18, that in Edom's case, uh, pride goes before destruction as Edom is basically wiped from human history. I mean, they, they are utterly annihilated in the end, and so, so what, what Obadiah comes off as for us in our day is it's a phenomenal lesson in pride. Just to see what, what pride can do to each and every one of us. And we could stop right there, but here's the bigger problem. Uh, if we don't know what fueled the pride, if we're not clear on what gave life to this kind of pride that would allow someone to just stand over and rule and act as judge and, and, and just rejoice in the downfall of anyone who isn't them. We gotta know where that came from. So let me just say this about Edom. What is so ridiculous and what is so tragic about what happened to Edom is that the whole thing was absolutely avoidable. There's just no reason for, for what happened to Edom to happen to Edom. It's just something that didn't have to happen. And again, going back to the beginning of the story with, uh, with uh, Esau and Jacob, you know, when you, when you look at what happened, you know, if you remember, uh, uh, Esau sold his birthright, so he's basically cashing in his inheritance for a bowl of soup, absolutely ridiculous. And, and, and when you look at his brother who deceived him, the one thing you can look at with both of these kids is they're both in the wrong. I mean, think about that. You know, it's not like uh, Esau just woke up one day and said, I'm just going to be the worst person in the world and destroy my life. There was a very real conflict that involved two people, and both of them were utterly at fault here. But see, ultimately, the issue is not what, what, uh, what one did to the other. It's, it's, it's what Esau lived out. It's Esau's response. That's the issue here, that he went on and nursed that and built that up and, and just, just, just lived in that cesspool of hatred and contempt, and it ended up in a place like this. 
And what I want us to consider this morning, brothers and sisters, is in the same way for us. Everybody, a universal truth, everybody gets wronged in life. Have we learned that? Everybody gets wronged. You know, we all get mistreated. Uh, We're all misunderstood. Uh, Have you ever been betrayed before, stabbed in the back? It happens to all of us. And sometimes it's our fault. Uh, Sometimes it's their fault. Sometimes it's everybody's fault. But see, the issue in the end is what we do with that ultimately is everything. It's It's literally life or death for us. Because as believers, what happens is we either step into forgiveness and freedom. And listen, I know some of the things that happen to us Man, some of the things that happen, you know, they're, they're, you know we, could, we could rate them all day long on a scale. Some things are small. Some things are medium. Some things are gigantic. I mean, some of the stories we could tell in this room about what happened to us, whether we were victimized or, or just whatever, they're horrible. But the bottom line is for the believer, we can always step into forgiveness and freedom because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. The cross is bigger than anything that ever happened to us anything that anybody ever did for us. So we can step into that, or even as Christians, we can step into a prison cell of contempt and hatred and bitterness. And, and see, here's the problem. You know, the problem is the crowd around us, because a lot of times people will say to us, well, you know, you have the right to feel this way. You have the right to, and what does that do? It just fuels us. You know, it, it, it's like it puts another layer of bronze on the chains, but we've got these two options. As Christians, okay, and I've lived a few things myself as well. As Christians, we are never justified in living out a life of contempt, vengeance, hatred, and hostility. You know, one of the beautiful lessons of Obadiah just shows us that God will deal with anybody who needs dealing with, you know? And that, that's a real, that's a, a real place of faith for us, a measure of trust to know that when God says, look, vengeance is mine, I will repay, I'm the judge, you're not the judge, that, that God will deal with anything that needs dealing with, whether, you know, it's leading that person to forgiveness and repentance for themselves, or, you know, whether it's dealing with them ultimately in the end, but that is our job, or that's God's job. Our job is to grow into maturity in Jesus Christ. It is to grow all the way up into the love, the life, the mercy, the freedom of Jesus Christ. And the truth for us is that growing up, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but I'm I'm beginning to learn this lesson at 54. Growing up always involves leaving stuff behind. You ever notice that? You know, I mean, as you go through grade school, you know, you leave first grade to go to second and second to go to third, hopefully, right? You know, you make the progression. You know, you graduate one day, you leave your father and mother, and, you know, the two become one. And, I mean, you leave this career, go to that one. Growing up always means leaving some things behind. And Paul says as we do that, you know, we want to leave those childish things behind. Well, I want you to know this. Offense, bitterness, pettiness, hatred, Those are childish things as believers we want to leave behind. You you don't want to be toting that baggage through this life. 
And again, the beautiful news of Jesus Christ and the cross and the gospel is we can absolutely again, absolutely be free of anything that happened to us to hurt us and anybody who is an oppressor or an enemy in our lives. I mean, through Christ, it's incredible. We can forgive anything in the past or anyone in the past. And brothers and sisters, I'll tell you, that is a miracle. That is such a gift from God. I mean, I even look back, I was thinking about a couple things that happened to me in the past. I was like, oh my gosh, I never would have gotten over that were it not for the, the presence and the reality of Jesus. And this love that is bigger than anything that comes our way in life. Man, what a gift. What a beautiful thing. And today, if you just need motivation, you know, you need some motivation to really believe that and really consider that, then I just say look no further than Esau. Look no further than the nation of Edom. Because this is a nation of people who literally shipwrecked themselves. Uh, anybody know much about shipwrecks? I grew up on the East Coast. Uh, man, shipwrecks happened all the time. I had a friend one time named Walter. Okay, this is an aside, but it's really a fun shipwreck story. Walter, and when we were in high school, a bunch of, he and a bunch of his friends got in his dad's Boston Whaler, 18-foot beautiful boat. Boston Whaler is the king of the small boats in the ocean. So they go, they, they go through the jetty. Now, that's a big series of rocks. And the jetty in Wilmington uh, is always wavy. So Walter decides, hey, guys, let's, let's just jump the boat through the jetty. So they're hitting waves and jumping and jumping, and they get caught by a crosswind. It turned the boat sideways, put them on the jetty, split the boat, boat in half. And if y'all know anything about a, a Boston whaler, both ends float. So all the guys are holding onto the boat, just bobbing with half here and half there. I never heard of Walter using his dad's boat again after that. Okay, but, th but this is the point of Edom. These people voluntarily shipwrecked themselves. They threw themselves on the rocks of bitterness and offense and hatred, and they destroy themselves. Well, let's just know as believers there's no reason to waste our lives like that. There, there, there's no reason to throw away this incredible life, love, and liberty that God has given us. So here's what I want to do. I want to end a little bit differently today, but not too differently, Marvin. Um, I, I, I want us to take a moment, okay? I want to invite the Holy Spirit to do something. Whenever we talk, the room got really silent when we got into offense and, and bitterness and hurt, and there's a reason for that, and it's because we all carry some. We've all been wounded. Sometimes it's, you know, between spouses or family. Sometimes it's way back in the past. Uh, it could be something that happened this week. God would have us free of that. So I want to, I'm going to take just another moment of silence today, silence today, and let's just invite the Holy Spirit um, to, to just show us, is there anything there that's in the way? Is there anything that's robbing us of life, you know? And again, you may have been a complete victim. Uh, you, uh, it just, it could be so different for every one of us. But I just want to ask you two questions. One is, um, what are your wounds? What are wounds in your life right now? Listen, ask the Holy Spirit to help us with that. Who hurt you, okay? And I just want to pray some healing over us and some freedom. So let's just take a moment of silence, and then let's just let the Lord minister to us this morning, all right? Father, I thank you that in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. 
There is no need for us to live um, standing over anyone in our lives, holding them to account when that's your job. There's no reason for us to live under the shadow of woundedness and um, e even ourselves being a, a prisoner to a past event or a past person. So, Father, today is your people, just as, as you show us, and maybe you do this even some after the service, you just show us what really hurts from the past still. You show us who it is in our lives that we can't hear their name or see their face without emotionally wincing. Father, in Jesus' name, by faith, we just say, God, help us to forgive as we receive your forgiveness. Holy Spirit, we invite you into those places to, to just heal what has been broken, to bring wholeness where there, there is still pain, to in every way set us free to love and to live life not only eternally, but life abundantly to the full right now. God, we thank you that you are a healer. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you are in the business of healing broken lives. And we just thank you that your love is so big that you even come into this place today and you just blow over the, the, the barren places of our life with your breath and you make that desert plain in us a, a, a well springing up to eternal life. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your love, your grace, your healing power, your freedom for us. In Jesus' name.